continue our series on King David. The series is called Complicated Faith, as David is a very complicated figure. We're just not to a lot of his complications yet. So early on, here's the timeline I've showed you of his life. Last week, we looked at him being anointed by Samuel to be king, and then Wednesday, under Saul's care as a musician and in, in training, you might say, and today, age 17, very young. That's the story of David and Goliath. You can see the rest of his life, lives all the way to being 70, 40 years king, and we'll work our way through that. But today is, oh, and remember, David, 1,000 B.C., so ballpark figure, David, 1,000 B.C., so 1,000 years before Jesus, think of the things that happened in his life and how they point ahead to Jesus. But today, David and Goliath, probably a very familiar story on some level to us. It's a classic, we might think of it, underdog story, or maybe you might say the original one. We love stories like this, stories that say against all the odds, somehow the brave underdog defeats the strong giant. You might think of the 1980 Lake Placid U.S. men's hockey team defeating the Soviet Union. Or next weekend, NCAA tournament starts. Many of you will root for underdogs and hope like last year, some unknown 16 seed takes down a number one seed. So there's a way of looking at this story, story of David, and there's a way we tend to look at it, and I want to tell you what it is, and then we're going to maybe change our view a little bit. The way we tend to look at David's story is this. David was the little shepherd guy, Goliath, the big enemy giant, and by trusting God, David was brave. And by trusting God, David had the courage to face and defeat Goliath. And then we kind of take the next step and say, well, you too then. You can face the giants or Goliaths in your life if you just trust God enough. Trust God and he'll give you the courage to defeat your giants, whether it's fighting a temptation or fighting a sin or some other big problem that you're facing. And that may be the way you've always thought of the story and the way we want to read it. And if that's the way we read the story, where do we put ourselves? We obviously then want to be David. And there is, yes, there is some truth to that, but I want to change that a little bit for you today. I want you to think about potentially being somebody else in the story. I want to maybe set that reading aside and look a little differently and look at some, some of the way the story is told and suggest that maybe God wants us to see ourselves not as David, but as somebody else, and it's actually even better news for us. So the story, 1 Samuel 17, as you saw... David's older brothers are already in the army fighting for Saul. The Philistines were the long time, at that time, arch enemy of God's people, the Israelites, always engaged in war, and they're represented by their strong man, Goliath. And so he asked for, this was common then, for a proxy battle. I'll represent all my people, you find someone to represent your people, and we'll duke it out, and then whoever wins represents all the people, and then, you know, they win for everybody. So they stand in, except there's no Israelite representative willing to represent all their people and go fight him. It probably should have been Saul. He's older. He won't. Nobody would. Why not? Here's the way verse 24 of the chapter says it. All the men of Israel fled from him and were much afraid. And then David comes along. 
couple verses later, David comes into the story and he says, who is this Philistine? Who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? You see, for David, this was always only about God. Goliath represented the Philistine God, Dagon. And he's taunting Israel, saying, your God is worthless. And David only ever sees this in faith terms. He sees Goliath as trash-talking God, and therefore, he'll lose. That's how David sees it. For David, it wasn't personal. It wasn't about him. It wasn't even about him defeating personal giants in his life. David is offended for God's sake. Remember, David is taking food and supplies to his brothers, because he's the shepherd boy back home, the forgotten eighth youngest. And so he comes to bring supplies. Bethlehem wasn't that far away. And he sees this going on, and he's offended for God, and he says, who's this loser? He's taunting God. No contest. But nobody else there has faith to trust that God can defeat him. They're all scared. They're all scared of Goliath, and they don't trust God. So then David, you might say, volunteers as tribute and says, I'll, I'll do it. I, this, no contest. This guy's defying God. God will defeat him for us. And David's brothers are mad for him even suggesting that. And, and Saul thinks it's a bad idea and then eventually lets him. And then he tries to put his armor on and, and David says, no, 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 that, that, that doesn't work for me. I'll just use what I have and what I know, which as a shepherd was a slingshot which are quite deadly, by the way, obviously. And then David has to walk from, you know, hillside across a valley, across a small brook. I got this stone from that same brook. You can come look at it later. Uh, to go to Goliath, and as he bends and picks up five of them, puts them in, and the text even tells us in his shepherd's pouch what he knows, his training that God has given him. And then he goes to face Goliath, and then I love this. Then they just start talking smack to each other. It's like holy smack talk. Goliath says, my dog that you come at me with sticks, is, is this all you got? You know, after 40 days of me doing this, you, you send a little kid? What? And then it says he cursed David by his gods. And then what's David's response? Here, I'll put it up for you. Then David said to him, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. Almighty God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. That's pretty bold talk. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And then all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. For David, it wasn't actually personal. It was about God. Goliath messed with God and is terrorizing God's people. And God will come and rescue them. David trusts with all of his heart that God will come defend and protect and rescue his people from the evil threatening them. Yet David was the only one that day that seemed to get that. And then after all this buildup, you get to the actual battle, and it's only a few verses. It's, it's anticlimactic. Battle goes, or David goes up, takes a slingshot, and like a bullet, really, right into the head of, of Goliath, and kills him. And David, that day, was God's servant to save his people. On that day, David was Israel's savior. 
Saul, all of the army, everybody there were paralyzed by fear and terrorized by Goliath and all of the Philistines. And that day, God sent a Savior to do his work, and through David, they were all saved. And then what happens? I love the end of the story. What happens? Verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and run, and then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath to the gates of Ekron. So they followed, they're in a valley with mountains winding, and they follow them down the valley and chase them. So first we have 40 days of Goliath roaring at them, making fun of God, and none of them trust God. They're terrified. They're scared cowards. No brave soul in the entire army, not Saul, not David's brothers, nobody. And then David comes from the outside, from the shepherd's field. He's not in the army, and he comes and says, I'll do this. God's got this. He's not in the army. He comes from the outside, and he stands in to represent all of the cowardly Israelites. Just like Goliath represents all the Philistines, he stands in to represent them, and he trusts God for them. He kills Goliath, and he saves them. And then suddenly, when Goliath is already dead, what happens to all those cowardly, scared Israelites? They suddenly have courage, right? They're suddenly brave. And then they, oh yes, ah, with a shout, we're going to go pursue the enemy, chase them down, defeat them. But they only fight after the battle's already over. They only fight after Goliath has been defeated. The Israelites fight the Philistines only after, this is very important, only after David won the victory for them. So if this is how we see the story, and this is how, how we look at it and read it, then where do we fit in? Where do I fit in? Where do you fit in? Because the temptation that I have, I think that we have, is to want to be David. It's not necessarily bad, but I just don't think it's all that honest for me. We want to be the hero. We want to be the brave warrior who defies the odds and defeats the big bad enemy. But am I? Or are you? Or are we? If I'm honest with myself, it's probably just not true. And so I wonder, could it be that if you were there that day, or those 40 long days, were you one of the soldiers who were there scared? Could it be that if you were there, you were afraid that nobody could beat Goliath? Man, we don't have anybody like that. We can't do it. It can't be done. Could it be that day after day, as Goliath taunted, you prayed to God to save you, but you just thought, man, this is not going to go well. And then out of nowhere, God answers your prayers, sends a Savior, spares you, protects you, saves you. And God saved you even though you doubted that it would ever happen and you feared the worst. And if, if that's true, then I'm not David in the story. Guess who that, who that makes me? That guy. Because he's shorter than a lot of the other people. That's why I'm that guy. <laughs> right? I think more than likely we're, we're that guy. In the Israelite army, we're the ones that see the big enemy and then just forget to trust God. I'm the one who sees a big problem and forgets that God is bigger than that problem. I'm the one who sees something that looks insurmountable and suddenly I'm afraid and cowardly. 
So I wonder if you are honest, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we, we could be David's brothers. We want to act tough, but it's just an act. We might be the soldier who sees Goliath and we're just shaking in our boots in fear. And yet, despite your fears, despite your lack of trust in God, God saves you anyway. That's what God did that day. After 40 days of nobody having faith enough to go against Goliath, God saved them anyway. And then suddenly, when you know the battle is already over, it's already won, suddenly you have courage, and you can be brave, and you have that courage, and you chase down the enemy. You see, that's what happened on that day. David was God's Savior for his people, but David's life points to the Savior, Jesus, who would one day later, thousand years later, save you and me from every evil. You see, David was God's anointed who receives the Holy Spirit, anointed, we saw that last week, goes out into the wilderness here where an enemy is coming at God's people for 40 days and nights. And interestingly, in the reading about commentaries, Hebrew text seems to describe Goliath as wearing scale-like armor. So it makes him sound almost like snake-like looking which is kind of familiar in the Bible, isn't it? Snake in the garden, that God says uh, he will crush their head in the future. And what does David do to the snake-like dude? He crushes his head. Jesus, in his ministry, begins by being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he goes out into the wilderness, and the serpent devil comes after him for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Jesus withstands that and then goes to the cross to crush the serpent's head for you. And I think I, you and me, are the ones that are often filled with fear and filled with doubt. And whenever we face giants of sin and greed and temptation and lust and pride, we shake in our boots and cower in fear when we try to beat them on our own. And then the devil turns and rubs your nose in your sin. We can't beat our enemies on our own. We need a Savior to come from the outside, and we have one. It's Jesus. Jesus crushes the head of your biggest enemies. Sin and death and evil and illness and everything wrong with the world. Jesus crushes the biggest Goliaths you'll ever face. Your biggest problems in life are already defeated. Have you ever thought about it that way? Have you ever thought that your biggest battles in life are already over? Whatever it is. Your biggest battle is already won by Jesus. He defeated evil, he defeated the devil, he defeated sin, he he forgives you, and he fights your battle for you. It's already over. And then suddenly, we're the ones that suddenly get courage now to run down the valley and chase after the enemy who's running away. Others have said it this way, so I can't claim it. They say, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Which means we don't work up the courage to fight hoping we win, not knowing the outcome. Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has already rescued you. He has already won the battle. But I realize you might be sitting there still wondering this. You might be wondering, okay, I get that, but does this story still help us look, look at tough things? Does this story still help us fight temptation or fight tough things or, or get through really insurmountable-looking things in life? Can we still look at this story and find strength to either fight sin in your life or go through and face big things? The answer is yes, but as I said at the beginning, I think it's better news when you don't see yourself as David. 
You see, you and I aren't standing there, unsure of the outcome, staring down a giant with everyone else wondering what's going to happen. We already know the end of the story. Jesus is risen. You have eternal victory in Jesus. And so when you and I fight temptation and when you fight, you, you fight a battle where the war's already over, whatever you're struggling with or whatever you're wrestling with or, or whatever Goliath you feel like you're staring at, whatever difficulty that is, Jesus has already eternally defeated it. So in Christ, you already have the victory. And so when you resist temptation and resist sin, you are simply the Israelites chasing the Philistines down who are already defeated and running for their lives. You see, when we trust in Jesus, he's already won the battle. And by trusting him, and receiving his grace and forgiveness, and then any, any resisting of evil and temptation in the world and in our lives, that's only really going to happen when you first believe that Jesus has already won it for you. If you look at Jesus' disciples, what happens to them when Jesus is arrested? They run away in fear. And then when Jesus is put on trial and then, and then crucified, they are total bystanders. They are standing on the sidelines watching. Jesus wins victory completely on his own. No help from his disciples. But then what happens? After Jesus wins the victory, rises from the dead, they're filled with the Spirit at Pentecost, they suddenly become people of courage. They become brave. And they run down the valley of the known world to tell everybody that Jesus died and rose for you. And most, all but one of those 12, die for the gospel. Your biggest battle, already won by Jesus. Trust in him and believe that he has already defeated your worst enemies, no matter what they are. And only then, when you already know that it's already over and already won by Jesus, only then will you be able to face any Goliaths that come your way. Amen.